I'm Charlene. In these 20-minute podcasts, I talk with memoir writers about their books, their lives, and their writing process. Sharing like this helps us all connect. As we listen, we learn about the world through the eyes of others. Their stories help us expand our views and empathize more deeply with each other. It's my pleasure now to invite you to listen in to this episode of Life Story on Soul Sciences. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the program. I'm here today with Deborah Tobola. Deborah has written a memoir called Hummingbird in Underworld. This is a very lovely title. And it's a really intriguing book. Deborah has written about her experiences teaching writing in the prison system. Welcome to the show, Deborah. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Thank you. You're all the way from California. Yes. Deborah, would you let our listeners know, please, what got you involved in the prison system? Well, it was kind of accidental. I had just finished my MFA at the University of Arizona, and I moved back to California, and I was working as an adjunct faculty member, and I happened to move to a prison town, Tehachapi. I went there as a guest artist, and then they hired me to teach creative writing, and this was all happening when increasingly the state budget was going to prisons instead of universities. So it's kind of an accidental thing. But from your memoir, I learned that you had another connection to the prison system. Would you talk about that, please? Right. My father worked at the same prison I ended up working at. Um, as a student at Cal Poly, and he was actually chasing an escaped convict on the night I was born. When I was three, I had my first meal away from home with my parents and my sister Bonnie, and I told my dad, Daddy, I like eating at the joint. So I was, was kind of, you know... Uh, maybe circling back when I came back to teach there 45 years later. It sounds like circling back. And I have to believe that experience with your father would have allowed you to feel more comfortable in a prison setting. Do you think that's accurate? Probably. I was about three. So, (laughs) you know, I don't remember being scared at all. I liked the whole experience. So. Were were you scared at all when you circled back 45 years later? I think I was apprehensive before I actually went in because I had the same images that most people have that we get from scary movies and TV shows about who's in there, what they're going to look like. and, And then when I actually got to the prison, I had a portable building, classroom, and, you know, there was nothing really scary about it. In fact, I loved doing it, and that was in 1992, so I've been 
teaching in prison off and on since then, mostly on. That is such a long, long time. And what a great expanse of time to have put into such a great project. Tell our listeners, please, about some of the people you met inside. I just met really talented people. And I talk about a lot of them in my book, poets, musicians, actors, visual artists. And I'm in touch with some of my students from 2000, 2001, even one from Tehachapi in the 90s. So I like to just kind of keep up with where they're at with their art. Did it surprise you to find so many talented artists incarcerated? It did at first, but then now I expect it, I guess, when I have a new class. I know I'm going to have some really talented people in it. Isn't that great? Now, you went on to not only teach writing, but you staged a number of plays. Can you give our listeners some insight into that experience? Yes. I started the program as a creative writing program because I'm a poet, but quickly I turned it into a theater program because of the opportunity to collaborate across all disciplines. So all of our plays had music. So we had musicians, singers, actors, writers. The visual artists did the the sets and props. And it was just a chance to bring a bunch of people together in a common cause artistic cause and very powerful. It sounds like it was. Were the the inmates, were the people who were producing the theater, were they surprised at what they could do? Yes. And I think proud. And for a lot of them, it just made them want to keep doing it. And I understand there was at least one story in the book of someone who did just that after they got out. Do you recall the story of that gentleman who was out and got involved in a local theater group? Yes. He was my student, ooh, I want to say in 2005, and showed up at the local theater group and said, I have tons of experience, but it's all in prison, you know. And then later, in 2007, I had a very gifted actor who his name is Danny Gray in the book. And he learned theater in prison in our program. And then he paroled. And I retired at the end of 2008 to begin a theater company for formerly incarcerated people called Poetic Justice Project. So he ended up joining us on the other side and he's marvelous. He was in several plays. And then a producer called me looking for an actor to be in a web TV series called The Hole about solitary confinement. And he was looking for someone who had actually experienced that. So I gave him Danny's contact info and they stopped auditioning after they auditioned him and he's the star. 
So that was wonderful. Isn't that exciting? That's such an exciting and inspiring story. Deborah, would you give us more information about this project, Poetic Justice Project? Yes, we're in our 11th year. We've done 18 productions with more than 100 actors. We've traveled all over California, um, from Redding to the north, down to San Diego to the south. All of our plays are followed by a talk back, so the audience can talk to the actors, and, and that's also very powerful. A lot, a lot of the, the actors pitch in, like putting the set together, and we kind of do double duty. Oh, that's excellent. That's great. And is it the same number of actors, the same people that you're traveling with the whole time? No. So we have a core group who have been in several plays, you know, since we started. But then we have people who are just in one play. So it's always a mix of veteran actors and new actors, which works really well because the veteran actors can kind of show people the ropes and give encouragement. It's pretty scary if you've never been on stage and most of our people have not, but once they perform and they are embraced by the audience, it's just a wonderful thing. I can imagine that that goes right cellularly to their hearts to realize they've been not only accepted, but they're being approved of in so many ways for these amazing performances. Exactly. And it, you know, it works both ways. The audience's hearts are open too. And that's our vision statement is unlocking hearts and minds with bold original theater. Who writes the plays? Deborah, I write some of them. Some are kind of collaborative. We always do original work unless there's a reason not to. So we did Of Mice and Men and took it to the Steinbeck Festival one year. And then the year that we were voting on the death penalty in California, we did The Exonerated, which is an amazing play. It's a play that, you know, came from court transcripts of people who were on death row. And actually, one of our actors got to talk to one of the people, the person he portrayed in the show right before we went on um, in the Bay Area. And that was phenomenal. So... That seems like such a moving way to spend your time. And you travel around. Do you have a big trailer or what do you do to travel? Does everyone travel by themselves or how does that work? Well, I mean, we perform on the Central Coast. And we have regular places we perform here at home. And we're not always traveling, so it depends on the show. But, you know, we've been on Alcatraz Island five or six times and we performed in churches homeless centers jail prison once so 
Do those audiences respond differently than would say audiences that are holding jobs and have houses and you know what we call more, I don't know, society approved individuals? I think we really connect to people who are incarcerated and homeless. And many of our actors have experienced homelessness, you know? So I think it's always powerful when we can perform for that kind of audience. Yes. And how do you fund this project? Grants, donations, ticket sales, donut fundraisers. <laughs> you know, it, it's, like I said, it's pretty lean and mean. It's close to the bone. It's, well, my next book is going to be about this. And it's called On a Wing and a Prayer. Beautiful. Yes. We started during the economic meltdown. 2008. And I, I'm still amazed that we're still going. And I mean, asking for, you know, financial support for a bunch of ex-cons during the economic meltdown. You can imagine that wasn't like <laughs> the easiest sell, but you know, we've had very generous support from people who have seen our plays. The fund for Santa, Santa Barbara has been a consistent funder and we've gotten an NEA grant and a couple of California Arts Council grants. But yeah, it's a miracle to me that we're still doing it and we are. I just love that, Deborah. Well, thank you so much for this time that you've taken to help us understand more about your project and all the best in it. Will you come back and speak to us again? Yes, I would love to. Thank you. Thank you and bye for now. Bye. That's it. That's all for today. Many thanks to Kevin McLeod for that lovely music, Carefree. And many thanks to all of you who make these podcasts possible. Remember, take good care of each other. Bye for now. Thank you.